Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm your host, Stephanie, and today I'm joined by author Matthew Lyons to talk about his latest novel, A Black and Endless Sky. So Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. It is a delight to be here. I am happy to have you on. Uh, I finished reading the book a few weeks ago. I really liked it. Thank you. I love I love road trip novels like and that paired with a possession story. And I love family dynamics. And this kind of being about two siblings stuck in a car was like up my alley. Totally. <laughs> I'm super glad. Well, besides that, can you tell our listeners a little bit about uh, Black and Endless Sky? Uh, sure. Uh, the way I've been the elevator pitch version of it, um, it's very bad. I'll just go ahead and quantify it like that. Now, I've been describing it, I think, even as far back as I had the first idea for this book, I pitched it to my agent as the Blues Brothers meets the Exorcist, okay. um, which not, not so much the musical element, but like a sibling road trip sort of after a long estrangement gets waylaid by very supernatural and also terribly human circumstances. And it's sort of all about these two siblings, Jonah and Nell, who set off on a road trip from San Francisco to Albuquerque and everything that happens along the way, most of it, most of it very bad, really bad for my characters. I'm not kind to them. I could honestly see this as a musical. I'm like thinking at the of the different things. I'm like we could we could have a little number there. We could have a little number at the at the biker bar. I see it. I dig it. <laughs> what part of the story came to you first? There are a couple. I think I've been writing some at least trying to write some version of this story for better part of a decade. I've had elements of it here and there. So it's been sitting in my head for a long time. But one of the things that sort of made me realize the story had wheels was the um the bar fight that happens relatively early on in the book mm-hmm. i had this image of this character just chucking like chucking a glass at somebody and how that is both a terrible decision and a pretty decent way to get the upper hand in a bar fight um not that i have any experience with that but that was sort of the first image um that came to me for this incarnation of the story Though there have been other parts of it, the hole in the middle of the desert, the sort of abandoned complex, um, kind of the, I don't know, the industrial decay of the American West. Um, A lot of it has been sort of swimming around in my head for a long time. And I finally figured out a way to make it all sort of stick together. I can see that. I like all of those pieces coming together. Everything was happening. I was like, oh, no, like, you know, we learned different things about the characters and uh, what tendencies they have. And uh, Nell is like a doesn't take anything type of person. And I was like, this is not this is not going to go well. <laughs> yeah, she is uh, deeply chaotic, but I love her very much. Yeah, so the main story focuses well, the main relationship of the story is between Nell and Jonah, the estranged siblings who are on this road trip. Do you have a sibling? I do. I have a little sister. Um, I would like to say that, I mean, I based some of this on my sister and I, but I really didn't primarily the two main characters are elements of myself that I wanted to reconcile. And I figured, why not put them on a road trip, put them in a shitty <laughs> Volvo and make them take a trip and see what happens. I truly didn't know how the story was going to end when I started plotting it out. Just uh, We're going to figure out what happens to these folks by the end of 300 some odd pages. Um, no spoilers, of course, but yeah, I think it's more, 
about me as a person coming to grips with myself and kind of coming to accept these two sort of sides of myself that have been at odds for a while. Um, but yeah, I, I had my sister read the first 50 pages um, very early on and she was super supportive and really understanding and encouraging of me to put as much of myself into these characters as, as possible. So, you know, sort of nervous, but also a little chaotic. Oh, that's cool. Well, you had her support. Yeah. Uh, so do you think the confined location of the car worked well to, I mean, I think it worked well to flesh out the characters, but also definitely ratchet up tension. Yeah, I think so too. I, I it was definitely a deliberate choice. I think like road trips, I, I'm a fan of pressure cooker stories. My first book, mm-hmm. Night Will Find Us, was very much, again, about people sort of trapped in an exceptionally shit situation with no real hope for escape. Um, a, a Black and Endless Sky is a little bit more like escape doesn't look like escape even when you do manage to get away from your problems. Um, but the being in a car was a lot of fun. And those were some of the best times I had writing this book. Cause it just got to write these characters kind of talking to each other and it's a horror novel. So you want it to be scary, but I don't know. I, I think all writers just sort of love putting people in a room and seeing what they have to say. We're all narcissists. We're monsters <laughs> truly. I mean, I think it works, though, to really get into the deep, you know, things that these characters are going through. And we, without those scenes with these characters addressing their issues, you know, other things don't hit as well. Yes, I really like that. And yeah, I definitely see the pressure cooker things. You not only have the growing tensions that they have from them, not necessarily sniping at each other, but, you know, talking about things that the other person just doesn't want to talk about. And then you have the consequences of the bar fight and then the supernatural consequences of the beginning. So it's a lot. It's a lot that they're going through. A lot of baggage and a lot of problems that just sort of get piled on these two sort of un- unwitting idiots from the very <laughs> beginning. And I love them there, but they make very stupid decisions, even oh though gosh. those are the best decisions they are prepared to make, mostly Nell makes some questionable choices because she's just an immature asshole in a lot. I didn't ask if I could swear on this podcast. I'm going to go ahead and assume that that's cool. Yeah, you're fine. Cool. Um, yeah, no, it, Mel's an immature asshole and makes some really terrible choices very early on in the book that end up kind of steering the book unwittingly yeah. for the next rest of the novel. I don't have a lot of moments where I feel like I, when I read books, that I, when they, a thing she did at the bar that I was like, you definitely did that thing and it's gonna it's gonna haunt you <laughs> i think i know what you're talking about Again, yeah no spoilers but like yeah. oh you have that moment of like oh you did this stupid thing i mean that's gonna bite you in the ass later yep. and, <laughs> god it does so i do also love all the body horror thank you in the book how do you find a balance with how much gore you use in stories i mean i love sort of i love body horror my favorite Mm -hmm. movie of all time is the thing like john carpenter is functionally a god but also the thing is a perfect movie and that level of body horror like there are writers who like john carpenter use it to great effect there are other writers who i think go a little far um which is a lot for me to say that's a that's a bold statement considering the amount of gross out shit that's in black (laughs) and endless sky but it's always a challenge to strain reader attention to strain reader loyalty without snapping it because body horror unless you're down for it and unless you're expecting it it can be kind of a revolting experience it can be kind of sickening um which is part of the 
point, right? It's a, it's a horror novel. You want it to sort of not be expected. Mm-hmm. If you if you have somebody's teeth falling out or fingernails or whatever, like you don't want to see that coming a mile away. So it being unexpected, but not, I don't know, gro- like intentionally like bloodthirsty. Maybe that's the best way to put it. I think that without luxuriating in the violence, but treating it as an element of the story is kind of how I strike that balance. But, you know, it's only so effective. There are some parts that even like people who I love and have read this book are like, that was too much. Why would you put that in a book? That's in my brain forever. And I'm mad at you. So like it's varying levels of success with body horror, but I'm happy with the level of bloodshed in the book because I don't, I, I personally don't think it goes too far, but I suppose if I did, I wouldn't have written it that way. I mean, yeah, there's definitely brutal encounters that characters have with each other, but I mean, also just that, consequences of the possession i was like the side effects of it oh yeah this is like hey you have something eternal inside a very finite machine made of blood and bone what's gonna happen to that machine it's not good it's fun i mean it's good but it's not pleasant let's say that i feel like i'm dissuading people from reading this book (laughs) not on this podcast (laughs) there all right and the story is also told through different perspectives. As an author, is it fun to kind of embody different characters and voices? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that even the two main characters, um, Nell and Jonah, are such different people, though they're very similar siblings. They're very similar to each other. Um, but being able to solve prob- narrative problems, let's say, through different characters is, is fantastic. And let the characters write the story. So, like, yeah, Nell's going to do some immature shit. Jonah's got anger problems. Uh, you know, Terry, who comes in later in the book, um, is a frightening psychopath, and you can't really depend on him to be reasonable. And then you have another character who comes in after the first part who she believes she has a higher calling, and she's um, self-righteous in everything she does. She's convinced of her own rightness in the world. And that is one of the most dangerous and terrifying things for any person so being able to alternate between these different perspectives i think allows the writing to feel propulsive feels self-congratulatory but it keeps the story moving and also grounded in a a human element rather than the story writing the characters letting the characters sort of be just people so yeah i enjoy that really like a lot honestly and I think it's a very enjoyable as a reader, too, to get these, this story happening from all these different angles and then, you know, kind of seeing how all of these things start coming together. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've always loved books like that. There are, like, like it is a kind of an ur text in terms of, like, multiple narrators, but that had, I read that probably way too young, but um, it had a huge effect on me because that's a thousand page book, 1200 pages, I think. Uh, that moves like nobody's business because when a scene starts to flag or it's a scene is over, Stephen King just like switches. Like, okay, now we're talking about Bill Denbro. Now we're talking about Henry Bowers. Now we're mm-hmm. talking about Pennywise. Like there's, it's that, that narrative rule. Meanwhile, back at the farm, right? Yeah. You want to keep the story sort of moving, but you also want to let the characters as people have space to be who they are and show the audience, the reader, whoever, who they are and give them a chance to identify even if they are 
like certain characters in this book, <laughs> terrifying psychopaths. Well, yeah, I didn't think about the fact that it is multiple perspectives because I have a really hard time with chunky books and I def- and I finished that and I was like, yeah, that that is why is because we're bouncing through all these different these different things going on and it keeps it moving. Yeah, I mean, but that's like Stephen King's superpower. He can make 1200 pages feel like 200. It's wild. That's true. I have issues narratively with it. There's some crazy bullshit in there that I'm sure other people who are far yeah. more well-spoken than I have talked about at length. So we <laughs> hijack this conversation towards that. So if this ever gets adapted, do you have any like wish list, like casting choices? Oh God. Um, I mean, the person that I had in my head as I was writing Nell is Mackenzie Davis. Um, from Halt and Catch Fire. She's on Station Eleven now. She does fantastic work. Um, Jonah, not so much, unless someone figures out a time machine in order to go back to 1992 and kidnap Nick Cave. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think that... Uh, I don't know if I have a dream casting. I can prob- I can come up with like a dream like production company. Like oh, SpectreVision. Cool. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, SpectreVision is... is truly fantastic elijah wood fun actor seemingly really nice guy but what he does with specter vision is incredible and they do some of the most sort of artistic weird ass horror in the game and i love it unabashedly so yeah i feel like i kind of dodged your question there and asked (laughs) a different one sorry about that no just a broad adaptation wish list did they do his movie then come to daddy i think they did i know that they have done I think they did come to daddy, which was a weird, that was, yeah, that it was. was a while. I intentionally learned nothing about that movie. I think that was the last movie I saw in theaters before oh. the end of the world. Um, but yeah, I didn't know anything other than like Elijah Wood and Stephen McCaddy are just going to be in this weird. And it turned out to be so much weirder and more intricate and weirdly heartfelt than I expected it to be. Y'all should watch come to daddy. It's so oh. good. And fucking bonkers yeah it was a movie i watched i think i was just folding laundry and you watch it and you're like okay it's gonna be this kind of movie and then you're like no now it's this kind of movie now it's this kind of movie right it constantly moves the goalposts. like it's it's like you're standing on a series of rugs that the movie's just constantly yanking out from under your feet and you're not really sure when you're gonna hit the floor if you're gonna hit the floor but i don't know it it's an ambitious movie that manages to stick the landing. And I didn't expect that. So, it was, yeah, I, I, I could talk about that movie for too long. <laughs> so having written a, you know, survival horror story and a kind of road trip possession novel, are there any other horror novels that you would like to write someday? Oh, there's a ton. I, yeah. I, I think that, you know, all writers have like shit I've been meaning to write for a long time. Right. Um, when I've been talking to friends and family about A Black and Endless Sky, I've been describing it as Blues Brothers meets The Exorcist, but also um, something that has been there since day one really is the fact that it is a horror story that's kind of car crashed into a crime thriller. And I love that. I love crime horror so much. It's um, It allows for, again, sort of momentum in the narrative and really interesting kind of colorful characters. So I'm really digging, um, I don't know, I've been thinking a lot about kind of Westerns and neo-Westerns. So I think my next one is going to be something along those lines. 
Um, again, sort of horror crashed directly into a crime story. It's going to be weird. This next one actually takes place in my home state of Colorado, which is the first time I've written anything full length about Colorado. Um, and I've been trying to for years, but I finally have an idea that I'm really happy with. And yeah, I'm currently uh, hard at work on that. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, I was going to ask because uh, The Night Will Find Us is like New Jersey Pine Barrens. This is like a road trip through the American Southwest. So next t- next stop is Colorado. Yep. A, uh, there's a place in Col- Colorado called the San Luis Valley, which is sort of the heart of all weirdness in Colorado. There's something like 60 active cults down there. Oh, um, oh yeah. Yeah, we can. I could. Yeah, there, there's a wild amount of supernatural stuff. I think the first reported uh, livestock mutilations uh, that are attributed to extraterrestrial life happened in the San Luis Valley, I think in the late fifties, but there's a lot of weird, funky stuff down there that I've been, and it's beautiful. And that's the other thing is it's weird, but it's gorgeous and stark and this endless landscape underneath this like infinite, like blue sky. It's, stunning in its beauty and just super fucking strange and i love it for both of those things there's a place down there called the ufo watchtower which is exactly what it says on the tin um i have a coffee cup from there i have a shot glass (laughs) from there i love the ufo watchtower uh anybody who says otherwise it's just wrong what is it i mean is it just like self-explanatory it is just (laughs) kind of self-explanatory it's basically a big stainless steel platform built in the middle of the desert where you just go to watch for UFOs, or at least they did. I think it's closed during the nights now. Uh, there's also a gift shop, which rules, uh, but it's like 10 miles from anything. So it's just like this strange little like platform and geodesic dome in the middle of nowhere off the side of a lonely two-lane blacktop. It's the coolest. I love it so much. <laughs> People leave things sort of like memories and, and almost offerings. There's some, it's, it's a fantastic place. The San Luis Valley is super cool. That does sound really cool. I was going to ask, what is your personal relationship to horror? Uh, I mean, that's sort of a long story. I started off reading Goosebumps, like every good millennial. Mm-hmm. Um, but I horror never really clicked for me until I was high school. It was the first time I watched Evil Dead 2, which is about the goofiest origin story for any horror fan ever. But yeah, I rented Evil Dead 2 from my local video store. I watched it like two or three times in a row in one night because I'd never seen anything like it. Like it. And I, that was when I realized that horror can be kind of anything. Um, it's not just like The Exorcist or The Shining. It's like, no, the horror can also be The Three Stooges um, and, and do really well in that. So that was when I sort of saw what horror could do and in what capacity. And I never looked back i always wanted to write horror tried writing in a couple of different genres found my way back to horror after a few years writing short stories and the rest is sort of history that feels again self-congratulatory but yeah that's a very short cliff's notes version of it that's funny i think you might be the first author to uh have started on goosebumps i think most people usually say like they stumbled upon like a stephen king I mean, that's like fair. That, that, yeah. <laughs> it was Goosebumps, and then it was just like, there's nothing really between Goosebumps and Stephen King. Mm-hmm. I, I guess there's Christopher Pike. Yeah. But I those... was never really in, I, I, I didn't know about Christopher Pike until I met uh, 
my wife who introduced mm-hmm. me, you know, when we were in college at the time, but that was, that should have been the stepping stone because otherwise it was just like, go from the haunted mask to the shining, which is a <laughs> fucking brutal jump. That is going from like, yep, this mask has ghosts. And then it's like, nope, we've always, you've always been the caretaker here, Mr. Torrance. <laughs> it's like, I'm 12. I should not. That was the first time I'm like, I should, I don't, is this too much for me? I kept reading, obviously, but you know. I have to know. Yeah, but... I, I need to know where this goes. I just recognize that I'm out of my league at this point. <laughs> at 12. Yeah, I had a friend who had a lot of the Fear Street books and Christopher Pike books, and I would go hang out at her house and definitely just like try to speed read. I'm like, the beach party, like I have to know what happens. <laughs> what is going on? Did you watch the Fear Street movies? Yes. I loved them. I thought they were so fun. Oh, they were fun. And I really liked the 1666. I didn't know what to think going into it. And I was like, I love this. Yep. Yeah. Because <laughs> after, sort of after the second one, you're like, what What will the story be? What? And then they come in with this third installment and kind of rewrites everything else that you saw up until that point. Really well done, man. I love those movies. I, should, I need to rewatch those. I was just thinking, I'm like, I'm going to I'm gonna rewatch yep. those. Those were fun. Yeah, hard saying. So like really good kills in the first one. Yeah. And they leaned into sort of like the different tropes for the different read, like the different like time periods. So like it, the one set in 1996, I think it was 94. Mm-hmm. Like it felt like a horror movie. It was designed to be a horror movie from 94. Whereas like the one that was 74, 76, it felt like a Jason movie without Jason, which was dope. And then 1666 was just like upmarket, like, Witch, witchcraft horror that we would have seen anytime over the past eight years really well done but it all sort of flows together so well so yeah i had a lot of fun with them and then uh yeah mike flanagan is working on that new christopher pike oh shit adaptation like the midnight club i want to say oh so now i gotta read it yeah i gotta i gotta read the midnight club as well but like mike flanagan's doing a thing yeah. sign me up like i know <laughs> i'm not gonna i'm not better than that He's great in everything he does. Like Midnight Mass, I know some people weren't hot on. I loved it. So well done. I really liked it. I think Haunting of Hill House is still like my top. Just because again, I love like sibling, like dysfunctional family relationships. I love it. But Midnight Mass is right there. Yeah. Bly Manor was interesting, but... The thing is, I, yeah, I was expecting more horror and that was more of a gothic romance, which it worked. It worked as a, a gothic romance. Oh, Totally. But after, you know, as the follow-up to Haunting of Hill House, I think we weren't ready for what it ended up being. We wanted it. I wanted it to be something different. Then I watched it again and tried to take it for what it is. Yes. And, like, it's Mike Flanagan. He's Mm going to do good work no matter what. So, yeah. yeah. Then we have the, he has the Fall of the House of Usher one coming out, too. That I can't wait. I'm just, anything that he does, (laughs) really, I'm not not gonna lie i'm like sign me up sight unseen well the i don't know if you know but books in the freezer is based off the joke in friends where joey is reading the shining and it's too scary so he puts it in the freezer so we i did not know that (laughs) i love that that's amazing so we use that as a scale to rate like how scary a book is like is it a freezer book or is it a fridge book or is it a room temperature book so what are some books you would put in the freezer Whew, um, I think the first one's probably going to be The Fisherman by John Langan. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's gorgeous and so sad and so hauntingly written, but 
as a portrayal of grief and human desperation, it is fucking terrifying. Yeah. Um, oh God, yeah, stuff that goes in the freezer. Um, I mean, motherfucking sharks by Brian Allen Carr like rattled me down to my core. It's not necessarily horror; it's more bizarro. But there are moments in that book that are so unnerving that I had to sort of put it down for a little while. Uh, but as an artistic achievement, it's it's fantastic. If you haven't heard of motherfucking sharks, no. It is a story, it's kind of a Western, kind of, about a small sort of town that is beset by a magical plague of flying sharks. It's, okay. It's wild. But there's a moment in there that, um, like, Brian Allen Carr sort of interrupts his own book. Because in this chapter, a child is being pursued by, I think, a hammerhead shark. And... <laughs> Brian Allen Carr stops the narrative. He like kills the momentum. He's like, okay, hey, so I want you to stop and imagine the cutest kid in your life. The one that you know, the one that you love best. We're going to kill that kid together. It's so, it's, on first read, it's haunting and uncomfortable. On second read, it's like, okay, I, I know that it's coming and I'm prepared and I can appreciate it for the artistic sort of stunt that is i think stunt makes it sound cheap it's not cheap it's really well done but it's absolute madness um what else uh negative space by br jaeger is again super weird but like unnerving and uncomfortable in a lot of ways and i want to say uh little heaven by nick cutter is probably a freezer book for me because it is both existentially terrifying and blood and mayhem on a scale that I think oh, yeah. most horror writers can only aspire to. Nick Cutter does like does body horror better than almost anybody. I remember I was reading that book and I was very into it and my cat jumped on me like at a certain point and I just jumped out of my skin. Like... Yep. <laughs> yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah, tracks. She's around here. Um Aww. Well, I didn't know she was, I closed those closet doors and I didn't know she was in them. And I just heard her like clawing her way out. I mean, like, <laughs> oh, hello. Yeah. All borders are porous to cats. Yeah. Are you working on anything right now? So I am working on, on sort the... of the aforementioned uh, mm -hmm. horror Western, but I'm also sort of plotting out the thing after that. Um, it's probably going to involve a, an amusement park, kind of a rickety old amusement park um, okay. here in Colorado, uh, growing up in what, I call the Denver Metroplex. Denver itself is sort of a very small like municipal entity, but the suburbs around it are sort of this sprawling like like metroplex of just different towns. Um, so here in the Denver area, there is a an amusement park called Lakeside, and it has been old and rickety since my mom was growing up in the fifties. <laughs> so. Um, but it's always been there. It's and it, I grew up really close to it. And now I live very close uh, to it. And there's something that's, again, it's kind of one of those elements that's always been in my head. I was like, this could be really cool to use in a story or a book. But I think I have an idea that's going to put the creepy old amusement park to work in a way that mm. I'm going to be. I'm really excited about. So and that's those are sort of the two things that are on deck for me. Well, that sounds exciting. 
So one thing we like to ask all our guests is for a chilling obsession. So what is something in horror that you've been enjoying lately? I mean, I, I think it's probably a cheat to say anything John Carpenter, but the man is, I don't know. He's a god. He's he's never done any wrong, in my opinion. He's done some stuff that is a little not up to the level of like The Thing or Halloween. But honestly, I'll, I'm down for anything that John Carpenter does. Like music, like if he did a TV show, sign me up. Like mu- music, movies, anything. Like so, that's I think a lifelong <laughs> horror obsession. Um, I think recently the the most recent obsession that I've had is um, a book called The Orange Eats Creeps by Grace okay. Kulinovich. Um Did you ever read the uh, a book called Three Hundred Million by Blake Butler? No. Okay. It's a weird one, um, but it's sort of in that same very almost like psychedelic level of prose where it's hard to tell exactly what's going on or even who the narrator is or who what the characters are about. But it's such a visceral and sort of unsettling experience from start to finish that it's impossible to ignore. And The Orange Eats Creeps is sort of kind of about a teenage vampire question mark maybe a vampire maybe just a sociopath um sort of roving the back highways of america searching for someone uh with like-minded predators i guess we can call them um in tow it's a wild book and it's like 150 175 pages long but it it's so dense that it's impossible to parse on the first read. It's fantastic and bug fucking sane and beautiful. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I had not heard of this. It's, it's a, it's a trip. Um, consider this your warning. If you want to read it, it's real good. But if you get into it, you're like, I don't know what the fuck is happening. I don't know why I'm trying to read this. Like yeah, I warned you. You're welcome. <laughs> you were warned. Yep. The other tradition we have on the podcast is to ask guests for their final girl song. Ooh. Okay. Um, you know, I think... I think I'm going to go with Her Black Wings by Danzig. Because I, I, like, I, love, I love Danzig. I love, I love Misfits. But I don't think they get enough for as... as much as like the misfits and Danzig sort of made their career on like showing love to horror movies. Well, everybody loves the misfits. I don't think there's enough representation in horror movies from anything from Mr. Glenn Danzig, New Jersey's, <laughs> New Jersey's favorite son. Um, so yeah, her black wings, I think is a fantastic like end credit song after like the police start swarming in <laughs> or like everything is finally like everybody else is just dead. Um, yeah. That's a perfect like end credit song. All right. Yeah, we will put that on there. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on and talking to me today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. It's, it's an honor. Yeah. Of course, where can people find you online? Uh, so I'm on Twitter and Instagram, though I'm terrible at social media. I'll cop to that right out the gate. Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at, uh, at cannibal ghosts. Um, and yeah, I have, I'm on, I have a website, matthewlionsauthor.com. I'm terrible at updating. Uh, so mostly social media, and even that is not great, but I do my best. A Black and Endless Guy comes out March 15th. March 15th. I think by the time this episode comes out, everyone can go. can go get their copy. 
go pick it up. <laughs> Let me know if you love it. If you hate it, don't. Keep it to yourself. That, that's a real easy way to ruin an author's day is tag them in a negative review. Yeah, that is. Don't do that. No, that's don't, poor don't form. Do that. It's just rude. Anyway, thank right. you again for having me here. Yeah, thank you. Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod, on Instagram at Books in the Freezer, at Facebook at Facebook.com slash Books in the Freezer, and on TikTok at Books in the Freezer. And you can always send us an email at Books in the Freezer at gmail.com. If you would like to support the podcast, there are a few ways to do that. The first way is to become a Patreon supporter at Patreon.com. There, there is a one, three, and a five dollar level, different perks at each level. Um, also, they've recently rolled out an annual option where you just do like a one time payment and you get all those perks for the whole year, which is pretty sweet. And I think you get a discount on top of that if you decide to go that route. You can also use the Amazon link that is in the show notes. You click that, takes you to Amazon. You do normal shopping that you would normally do, and a small percentage of that goes to help the podcast. Like recently, people have bought things like litter boxes and protein powder and memory foam mattress toppers. So, you know, the possibilities are endless. Thank you again to all of you that utilize that. It's a big help. If you want a way to support the podcast that does not involve spending money, that is absolutely possible. One of those ways is to leave a review on a site like Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, like Spotify lets you do just a star rating. Um, So anything like that gives the podcast visibility, boosts it a little bit. So again, thanks to all of you who have taken the time to do that already. And of course, just posting on social media, like posting on your story um, on days when the podcast comes out is a big help. But also just posting about the reading challenge, like when you finish a book and you've finished a prompt. I love being tagged in those when you let me know that you've, you know, completed another prompt on your like books in the freezer reading challenge. So thank you again to all of you. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N. And on Instagram at that's what she read. And that's that's with two A's. So see you next time on Books in the Freezer. (laughs) 